0: In Isaiah 61, Jesus declared that he had been sent to bring freedom for the prisoners and to set the oppressed free. And throughout Jesus' ministry, we see his power to set free those that were imprisoned by their own sin and those that were oppressed by the sins of others. When Jesus died and rose again, he destroyed the power of sin once and for all, giving us free access to the love and power of God. In this Set Free series, we will provide the tools for each of us to identify the lies we have believed, to take hold of the truth that Jesus offers and learn to walk in the power of the Spirit. Jesus came to set us free from whatever stops us living in the fullness of God's love and power. Hey, I hope you've been encouraged Uh, through these last couple of weeks of Set Free, as we've looked at being set free from shame and being set free from rejection. Today, I want to talk about a topic that for many people is incredibly crippling in their life. I want to talk about fear and uh, a few different ways that I want to do that. And I figured if we're going to talk about fear, it would be good for us to talk about some of the greatest fears that many of us hold. So if you can just give me a second, I have bought a prop today. I apologize to anyone listening on the podcast that you are not going to see part of my message today. And you'll be disappointed you weren't here in just a moment. Okay, I'm going to get back to that in a second. (laughs) I want to talk about fear. But the first thing I want to do is I want to ask the question of what are some of our greatest fears? Now, some of the topics that we touch in this series are actually attached to some people's greatest fears. So last week, I spoke about rejection. And for some people, one of their greatest fears is the fear of being rejected. You know, we could talk about the fear of failure. There's a whole bunch of um, deep emotional things that we fear in life. But if you Google top fears for people, you get a different kind of list. It's usually physical, practical things that people fear. And so I'm going to bring up some photos this morning before I get to our box, because I believe, I'm just going from my understanding, but I think what's contained in that box that I will reveal a little bit later is probably the greatest fear that most people hold. It's just a guess. But I'm gonna go with that being the greatest fear that most people hold. Let me pull up some photos of some other things that people fear. And we're just gonna have a little bit of an interactive game here. If this is a fear of yours, I wanna ask if you just raise your hand high, okay? There is no shame in this space. Who has a fear of heights? Who just hates heights? Like you would rather just stay at sea level for the rest of your life, fantastic. A couple of years ago now, we visited some friends in Western Australia and down the bottom part of Western Australia, you can go and climb what is known as the Gloucester tree. It was originally a... uh, Uh, essentially think the greatest tree house that you could imagine but like 50 metres in the air and it was used by people to go up and scan the forest for fires but you can climb it now, there's great signs at the bottom warning you of the risks and this is a photo looking down from the Gloucester tree and that's all there is, just steel pegs that spiral up this 50 metre high tree that you can climb and I climbed it and I didn't think I had a problem with heights until I got halfway up the Gloucester tree and I had two thoughts, one it's a long way down and two what happens if someone's coming down as I'm going up? Because they haven't thought about that. There's no two lanes on the Gloucester tree. But some of us just fear heights. It's a terrible thing. Who fears this? Who fears public speaking? Fear of public speaking. Okay, I'm just going to get a snapshot of that. I'm going to roster you all on for communion duties and stuff in the next... Now, I know some people have said in their life that public speaking is one of their greatest fears. The thought of standing up in front of a crowd and having to open their mouth and speak is one of their greatest fears. What about this one? Who, who just hates flying? The, the thought of being not in control. Casey, anyone else that hates flying? Bella, don't love flying. I don't have big issues with flying, but I must admit there's always this seed of doubt. If you've got that seed of doubt when you're on a plane and you hit some turbulence... I know turbulence is normal, but every time I fly, even though I get, I'm quite okay with it, turbulence just is this seat of doubt inside of me. When I'm flying any kind of significant distance, I'll make sure that I place myself next to somebody who I can just grab their hand and nuzzle into their shoulder and give them a cuddle when I get really nervous on the flight. So next time I fly, I sit next to me. No, I don't do that. Who fears this one? Darkness. Who fears darkness? Okay, who was a kid feared darkness? Man, I did. I just hated the dark. My kids hate the dark. I to put lights on in key places of the room, uh, of the house, just because they just hate the dark. It's like our backyard is not that spectacular, but as the minute the sun goes down, the backyard turns into a potential for a whole bunch of things in the mind of my children. What about this one? Who hates Cockroaches. You've got a fear of cockroaches. Okay, (laughs) some husbands are putting their wives' hands in the air saying, yes, they do. They don't want to admit it. What about this one? Spiders. Who hates spiders? This is the Sydney funnel web spider to the Pays team. Welcome to Australia. We are the land of the deadliest creatures in the world. This spider can actually take you out. Um, but just to rest your mind, I've never actually seen one in the flesh. I don't know how many we get in Southeast Queensland. We get a whole bunch of other wonderful things in Southeast Queensland, which we'll introduce you to in just a moment. But uh, spiders are a great fear of some people. Can I just say, as a man, one of if in my desire to look for a wife, one of the things that just really wins me over is a, a girl that can do this. How cool is that? That's Chrissy with a tarantula on her head, right? And then some of the team that was there the day went on to eat them. Bring, bring up the spider photo again, Deb, for a moment. I did this devotion in staff retreat a couple of days ago and I was asking the same questions about what people fear and there was some staff about three rows in back from the screen visibly like looking at me saying, you can take the photo down now. You can take the photo down now. Anyone really hate Spiders. Finally, clowns. This seems to be a new thing, but some people hate clowns. Anyone hate clowns? Yeah, I, I don't clowns don't worry me. Mannequins, I've got a thing with mannequins. We used to have a mannequin. Used to have a mannequin at Gateway that they used in the op shop. And they dress it up, and put it out the front. And then somewhere, sometime, it got moved from the op shop to random places in the church. It just got moved around. But you would go into our building at Mackenzie, which is a fairly big cavernous space. And uh, I, a few times, I went in there by myself. I disarmed the building. I opened the doors. I knew that there was nobody else there. It was like a Saturday night. It's dark. It's quiet. And I walked backstage to find something that I needed for the Sunday service. And I turned on the light. And I turned the corner, and there was this stupid mannequin standing there. And I've got to tell you, I'm, I invented words that uh, you've never heard before in that moment. I, I made words up because something about that, that just, they're just freaky looking things. You know, fear does a really funny thing to us. Fear does a really, really funny thing to us. Fear compels us to stick with what we know is if you fear something, you would rather do what you're doing now and stay where you are now rather than moving to something that you don't know. Fear compels us to choose safe and to choose comfortable. We would choose safety over fear any day. And for many of us, fear is one of the greatest reasons in our life that we cannot move forward in a particular area of our life. Now, if we move beyond just some of the phobias or the photos that we've seen, some of those other areas that are deeply emotional around rejection and hurt and pain and disappointment, some of the fears that we have about those things can be so crippling for some of us that we cannot move forward. We cannot actually walk into the things that life offers, but more than that, that God offers us because we have this fear that is incredibly crippling. And every time we get the opportunity to move forward, we choose safe over having to confront our fear. Let me give you some examples. There's people with a fear of failure that means they will never try anything new. And so maybe you're someone that carries a fear of failure and in your job, in your job at the moment, your workplace, you know there's a promotion coming up, but the, the drive and the fear within you that you will fail is the thing that stops you from even going for the promotion because you would rather stick with what you know and not have to face the emotion of failing than putting yourself out there. You see, fear of failure is an incredibly powerful thing. You don't even want to try a new hobby or a new sport. You don't want to try doing something different because you fear that if you fail at it, so you choose safe and comfortable and what you know over doing something brand new. For some people, the fear of pain is a thing that causes them to live a life that is completely risk adverse. The fear of getting hurt or the fear of something going wrong causes you to live a life that's completely risk adverse. The fear of rejection for many of us means that we never open ourselves up to a brand new relationship. And maybe your story is so painful and so deep of how you've been rejected maybe by someone that was a friend, maybe that someone was a parent or a family member, maybe someone that you were married to, and the rejection drives so deep that when you look into the future, you would rather choose to stay where you are than to put your heart back out there again and allow it to be broken again because the fear of rejection is so real and so deep. Some of you, when we talk about life groups, there's a side of you that thinks, I would love to be part of a small community of others that I can share life with and do the journey of life with. And then the other side says, but if they get to know me for who I really am, if I put myself out there again, is my heart once again gonna get broken? The fact is there's some reality to that. The fact is that some of the things we fear... Sometimes that is the outcome and often the reason we fear them is we've been there before and we don't want to go there again. But if we let fear drive us and control us, we will never move forward in anything. Alfred Lord Tennyson says something that I think is a fairly famous quote. He says, it's better to have loved and lost than to have never loved at all. In other words, you put yourself out there, you put your heart out there in loving someone, There's incredible pain that comes with losing that. But there's greater joy in actually going there in the first instance than staying in the safe place that means we never move forward. You know, this series, we talk about the lie that some of us are living by and then we're encouraging people to take hold of a brand new truth. And the lie that many of us are living by is that we're controlled by fear so we can't move forward. The lie says, I cannot move forward. And the reason I cannot move forward is I fear what will happen if I do. Anyway, it's probably enough procrastination. I've been procrastinating. What do we think is the greatest fear that people hold on the list of fears that I bought? Would you like me to show you what I think is the greatest fear that many of us hold? And I'm getting a little nervous in myself right now. I have bought some safety gear. Just, some of you are going to be absolutely amazed that I do this, knowing me. Le- leather gloves, I don't know why I bought glasses. They're not actually going to help me that much. But Who would like to see what's in there? (laughs) Emily, would you like to come and help me? Okay. Sorry for a moment. This is a little clunky. I probably should have thought about this. But I had to carry this thing in my car. Sophie, you're carrying this thing in your car at the end of the service. Because they really would like this prop in the 6 p.m. Andy, I didn't think this through. I'll hold the lid down. Can you just untape? Raina, are you hiding behind your jacket? No, <laughs> just. Go. You know what this is, don't you? And you just have no fear. I wish that was me. Okay. Now, can everyone see? <laughs> I'm just going to tilt the lid a little bit, okay? And just turn it your way because I ain't touching what's in here. Let's just say that. I've got the gloves on. Just makes me feel better about myself. Any pays. guys want to come and just help me with the box <laughs> this morning? They're thinking, what kind of church have they signed us for? Tony, what have you done? Where have you put us in this church? Okay. It's still. <laughs> no, no, I promise I won't pull any rust, I promise. Okay. <laughs> just, Bella, just get ready to, Sue's jumping and she's six rows behind you. Are we ready to see this? I did this devotion with our staff the other day and james went home and said to sophie andrew's got this prop it's a shocker and andrew needs it at our 6 p.m service and they need us to drive it up the freeway they're going to need some marriage counseling at the end of today is that okay because he has let that thing slide on all week and there is now great relief about what is not in that box If you know me well, there is no way on God's earth that I'm bringing a snake anywhere near me or this building. So all of you that thought it was a snake, when I did it with staff, I had staff members running to the back of the room. I don't like snakes. I don't touch snakes. I don't go near snakes. I know we're like one of the snake capitals of the world here in Southeast Queensland, but there is no way that I would ever bring a snake. You can just be self-assured of that. Now that is not just a gag. Because you know what, actually what's contained in that box is, for many of us, what the greatest fear is. It's the fear of what is unseen and of what is unknown. The greatest fear that many of us carry is the fear of what is unseen and of what is unknown. And so when we look into the future, it it may not actually be realized with anything, but the very thought that there might be something ahead of us that we cannot see or perceive or handle is the very thing that strikes a crippling fear within us. I do have a crippling fear of snakes. I hate the things. I shouldn't be telling you this because there was a day I turned up to my office after I told a bunch of students this and there was a box about this big sitting at the door with my name on it and it had a three meter long carpet python sitting inside of it because everyone thought that was funny. Now the kid that owned it thought it was hilarious in trying to get it around my neck but I was holding a shovel at the time In the foyer of the church at Mackenzie, and I was, I told him that I would hurt him and the snake if he came near me and he thought I was joking. But his pet was in grave danger because they just bring a crippling fear into my life. But the greatest fear many of us carry is the fear of the unknown, what we cannot see and what we do not know. I don't know who this guy is, but I I read something he said this week and apparently in in, uh, Hollywood and in the horror film genre, this guy is a bit of a guru. He lived early in the 1900s and he wrote stuff and produced stuff that many horror film writers today talk about him as one of the pioneers. But a guy by the name of H.P. Lovecraft says this, the oldest and strongest emotion of mankind is fear. And the oldest and strongest kind of fear is fear of the unknown. It's fear of the unknown. I wanna take you back to the book of Genesis in Genesis chapter 12. It's where really the redeeming restoration plan of God began. When God called a man named Abraham or Abram as he first appears to us in the Bible. We get this uh, long story of the beginnings of mankind and stuff that happened in the world in Genesis 1 to 11, but there's a change of pace in the Bible when we get to Genesis 12. And the story simply says this to us. It says that God appeared to Abraham and said, Abraham, leave your country, your people and your father's household and go to the land that I will show you. As simple as that. Go to the land that I would show you. Now, most of all of us, I am going to contest who would have heard of Abraham. Most people that don't even have an attachment to the church, I would contest have heard of Abraham or Father Abraham in some ways. And you think if he's that famous throughout all the decades and centuries and millennia of history, he must have done some fairly spectacular stuff. If you read the story of Abraham, it's actually largely unspectacular in huge chunks. You see what God said to Abraham is, Abraham, we're going to pack up your tents and I want you to move a couple of hundred miles that way. And Abraham said, okay. Packed up his house and he moved. Now, there's some people sitting here today that somewhere in your story felt God said, it's time to move from here to there and you did it. Really, that was the crux of Abraham's story. When you fast forward, that very thing the Bible says that God credited Abraham's obedient to him, obedience to him as righteousness. In other words, that very act of saying yes was just rewarded by God that creates Abraham as a man of faith in the story. But in so many ways, it's not that spectacular. God asks him to move and he moves. God then just gives him some promises. Abraham, if you move, I'm going to do some cool things through you. One, I'm going to make your name great. You're going to be famous. Two, I'm going to make a nation through you. I know you have no kids, Abram, but I'm going to make you a great nation. And number three, all people on earth, Abraham, will be blessed through you. And Abraham takes his family, he's got no kids, and he says, okay, God, I'll do it. And he moves. And you know, the story of Abraham has some other twists and turns in it. But in large parts, what we read is not that spectacularly earth-shaking. But take the thought of Abraham and what he did in that moment. I want you to fast forward to the book of Hebrews with me for a second. And in Hebrews chapter 11, we get this great roll call of some of the Old Testament heroes of the faith. This is what Hebrews 11 verse eight says about Abraham. It says, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place that he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went. Listen to this. Even though he did not know where he was going. Even though he did not know where he was going. In that moment, Abraham chooses faith over fear. He chooses faith over the fear of the unknown. Because for Abraham, it would have been much easier to stay. Sometimes when God calls you to do something, it's inconvenient. It would have been much easier to stay. We've got a group of students that were with us for the first time today. We've got Tony and Julie and their family and others that have come out here to be part of the Pays movement. And I guarantee for them, even though they're excited about the adventure, it would have been easier to stay because it's less costly, you've already got established relationships, it would be easier to stay. And it would have been easier for Abraham to stay. It would have been safer for Abraham to stay. We don't think it's that big a deal moving a couple hundred kilometers away. But in Abraham's day, like, that was a risky journey to do what Abraham did. It would have been more comfortable for Abraham to stay. It would have been more convenient for Abraham to stay. But had Abraham stayed, he never would have been part of the story that God called him to be part of. And it's not like God's story hinged on Abraham. Let's just get that straight. The Bible actually doesn't give us a great history to Abraham. He just appears when the Bible tells us that God appeared to Abraham and said, Abraham, I want you to move to a land that I'm going to give you and I'm going to bless you and make your name great and bless all people on earth through you. We, We don't know Abraham's backstory. We don't know what Abraham did to get to that moment where God chose Abraham. But if Abraham said no... God could have and would have used somebody else. This is pure conjecture. Please don't write any theological works on this, but we don't actually know that Abraham was the first. Maybe God went to 15 others before Abraham. said, Frank, I want you to pack up your tents and your family, Frank, and I want you to move to a land that I'm going to show you. Frank, your name is going to be great. Frank, all people on earth are going to be blessed by you. Frank, I'll give you a great inheritance and Frank said, no thanks. We could have been singing, Father Frank had many sons. Father Fergus had many sons. I don't know. We don't know that Abraham was the first, but the Bible tells us that when Abraham, when God asked Abraham to go, he said yes. And in this story, I just want to make a couple of comments about faith and how faith can triumph over fear. You see, firstly, I want to say this. Sometimes what God asks of us is for reasons bigger than what we will see or experience. Sometimes what God's asking for you to do now is for reasons bigger than you will see or experience or even know. You may not even get to see it in your lifetime. I mean, think about Abraham's story again for a minute. Abraham, I'll make your name great. I'll give you a land of your own. You'll be the father of a nation and all people on earth will be blessed through you. How much of that do you think Abraham got to see in his lifetime? Abraham moved to a land where nobody knew him, so I can't imagine that his name became too great in those early stages. God did a miracle by giving Abraham and his wife Sarah a child, Isaac, later in life. I reckon Abraham in that moment might have said, God, look, thank you for your blessing, but could you have done this earlier? I would have loved to have had Isaac when I was 25. Now, my wife's nearly 100, and you're giving him to us now? Like, if we were 25, imagine the stories we could have done, the holidays we could have gone on, the, the great life we could have shared together. God, you've given me this son in later life. I may not even get to see that many of the next generation that come through him. God, why did you do this so late in life? You see, Abraham didn't get to see the realization of the promises, he just got to see the one. And the one was a miracle. Abraham never imagined that God could use him in the way he did. He never got to see or outlive the story that we experienced. Listen to what the remainder of that little passage in Hebrew says. So by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country, he lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. for he was looking forward to a city whose foundations, and whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful, who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people, the Bible says, were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. see, Abraham never got to live the reality of some of God's promises. He saw glimpses of it. He saw the beginning of it. But now, here we are, 2017, church in southeast Queensland, and all of us know of Abraham. His name did become great. You get to the very first book of the New Testament. Matthew tells the, starts telling us the story of Jesus. You know, the moment that God actually was going to bless all people on earth, the moment, God's grand moment of revealing his rescue and redemption plan. And in this moment where God himself He's clothed in flesh and blood and walks amongst us and does something through his person, Jesus, that changes everything for everyone at all time. When Matthew starts telling the story of Jesus, what does Matthew say? This is in the very first verses of Matthew 1. This is the genealogy or the family tree of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Verse 2. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob, and it goes on. God said to Abraham, I'll make your name great, tick. I'll make you into a great nation, tick. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. So Matthew starts telling us the story of Jesus. And where does he start? Well, Abraham, he was the father of Isaac. And at that point, we realized that Abraham saw the end of the promise. But in faith, he perceived what God would do. You see, sometimes God asks us to do something bigger than what we will ever see or experience. Some of the things that God's asking you to do right now, you may not understand why, but there's gonna be generations that come after you, generations in your own family that are gonna see the fruit of your faith and your faithfulness. Some of you parents, God might be asking you to do something right now that you will never see the fruit of, but your great, 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 grandchildren will see the fruit of. And sometimes faith invites us to take a step into something that God calls us to do, even if we don't become full recipients of the outcome of that. You know, in in the coming season of our church, in in the next 12 months, I'm going to stand up here and at some point I'm going to ask us as a church, to make an investment in building a permanent home for this church in this community. You know what? There's going to be a sacrifice and there's going to be a cost. But we don't know how God wants to use that, not just to bless us, but to bless the next generation, the kids that are sitting out there today, and their kids, and their kids' kids. You see, sometimes the step of faith isn't about realizing it all for ourselves. It's about realizing it all in the grander plan of what God wants to do. So sometimes what God asks of us is for reasons bigger than what we'll see or experience. Number two, I wanna say this to choose faith over fear doesn't mean it's the easier or safer route. It'd be really easy for me to try and build an encouraging sermon today that said, if you choose faith over fear, God will always come through for you in ways that you would never hope or imagine. And to some extent, I do want to say that because there's some truth to that. But the reality is choosing faith over fear doesn't always mean it's going to be easier or safer or more comfortable. You know, in our Western Christian culture, we've made some really, really bad assumptions. Some bad assumptions that one, aren't biblical. Two, aren't actually given any credit or precedent through the stories of those in the Bible. But for whatever reason, in our safe, comfortable Western Christian thinking, we've built this narrative in that says, if you choose faith, God will always come through for you in the ways that you imagine. If you choose faith, it's always going to go good. If you choose faith, it's always going to be easy. If you choose faith, there'll never be any discomfort or persecution. There'll never be any hard days. There'll never be any days that you're wondering where your next meal's going to come from. Because if I choose faith, I'm choosing to do what God calls me to. And God's always going to look out for me. Because God just loves to bless me when I'm faithful to him. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible never promises that. It, some of us think that we do stuff for God and then God owes us. God, I've been doing this thing in the church I've given this money to the church. I've been serving in this ministry of the church. I talked to my neighbor and put their bin away this week. God, I stopped and picked up the stray cat because I felt that's what you told me to do. God, I've done all this stuff. You obviously owe me. God, I'm transporting the fake snake back to Mackenzie. God, you owe me. But that's not what's ever promised. And you know, the greatest writer of the New Testament is the Apostle Paul. And we learn so much from reading the New Testament about what he experienced through his life of following Jesus. And Paul's journey was incredible, there were some incredible highlights. I cannot imagine what it was, the transformation experience that Paul has on the road to Damascus where his name actually at that point is Saul. And it's such a life-changing experience that he gets given a brand. He starts getting called Paul from that moment on, but he encounters Jesus and these scales come across his eyes and then someone that's just prompted by the Holy Spirit comes to where he's staying and the scales fall off. And from that moment, Paul's whole life changed. What an incredible story that he got to share with everybody that he saw. He had a life-changing, life-altering encounter with the risen Jesus. And from that, he lived a life dedicated to telling people the story about Jesus and displaying through his words and his actions the life-giving power of Jesus. Paul's story was a life of obedience, a life of trust, and a life of faith. Paul's story was a life of beatings, a life of imprisonment, a life of little food, a life of little income, a life of persecution, and a life of an early death. And all those last things came because Paul chose faith. All those things came because Paul chose faith. There's a great story in Acts chapter 16. Paul's joined by another guy by the name of Silas, and they're walking around the city square, and there's this girl who, uh, is, as the Bible tells us, is possessed with a spirit that enables her to tell the future for other people. And she follows; she's following them around, just yelling at them and speaking stuff over them. And the Bible just says, I love how it says, it says, Paul just gets annoyed by her. Man, even Paul gets annoyed by people. That's just great encouragement to the rest of us, isn't it? He's just like, this woman is driving me nuts. And so you know what Paul does? He turns around and he says... Spirit, get out of her in the name of Jesus. And this woman is set free in a moment. What an incredible story. Imagine retelling that one in church. I'd love to come in here one week and say, oh, this person was driving me nuts. So I turned around and I drove the spirit of annoyance out of them. And guess what? Jesus set them free in a moment. That's a great story, but, but the story goes on. Because you see, because of the spirit that was at work within this girl, People were actually taking advantage of that. People in power were taking advantage of the spirit within her. And she was predicting people's future and they were getting money because of it. Now she's set free. Their income stream dries up and there's this great outrage. It doesn't matter to them that this young woman had been set free. It matters to them that now their capacity to earn through her is gone. And so they drag Paul and Silas into the city square and they start putting all of these accusations against them. And then the rest of the community, well, not the rest, large chunks of the community come together and they start yelling accusation at Paul and Silas. And Paul and Silas come before the magistrates. And the Bible tells us that they get beaten with rods. They get stripped naked. They get thrown into jail. They get put in stocks and they get hung out to dry because of what they did in bringing freedom to that girl's life. I mean, in faith, in an act of compassion, in an act of grace, they set a young woman free. And what's the outcome? What's the blessing they receive for it? Beaten, stripped naked, thrown into jail as criminals. And they stand in the middle of this jail, rugged, rusty stocks on their legs, probably still stark as. What do you do in that moment? What would you do in that moment? oh God, this is not real fair, is it? Did you not see what we just did? We were just being obedient to the thing that we thought we should do. If I knew this was going to be the outcome, I would have just left that annoying spirit in that girl. This is not the way it should go, God, when I choose faith. Oh God, this is so, this is really, you really owe us one, God, because we did something, we ministered in your name, And this is what we get. God, if this is going to be what we get for doing what you ask us to do, I'm going to choose a different narrative in life because this is not the way that things should go. I don't know what your narrative would be, but there'd be something in my heart that would want to go there. The woe is me, God owes me. This isn't the right outcome. This isn't what should happen to people that are faithful. This isn't what happened when you do what God calls you to do. Paul and Silas don't go there. Because they know when you choose the life of faith, it's not about everything going your way. Paul and Silas, naked, chained, beaten, in the middle of the prison, cold, hungry, I imagine. Start a worship service. These annoying, super spiritual Christians. I want to be in the corner moaning, and they're just singing praises to Jesus in the moment. And because they've actually come to believe that when you choose faith, it doesn't mean that everything will go your way, that the circumstances in life won't always always work for you, that sometimes when you choose to live the life that Jesus calls you to, it's going to be tough and there's going to be persecution and people aren't going to like you. And none of us have probably ever suffered beatings and nakedness and imprisonment because we brought freedom into someone's life, but they did and they start worshipping. Because faith for Paul didn't mean safe and comfortable. And I want to encourage us that faith doesn't always mean safe and comfortable. You know, there are times when God asks you to do something and the blessings that come from that are beyond what you could imagine. But you know what the blessing was for Paul and Silas when they started worshipping? God does another miracle and the, ga- the gates of the jail are flung open. And the jailer, so concerned when he wakes and sees all the gates open, thinks, I am done. Once my bosses come back and find me, I am done. So I'm going to do myself over right now. I'm going to take my own life. And Paul and Silas stop that happening. He said so they haven't run out of the jail. They're just like, now's our chance to bring freedom to someone else's life. And they lead him to Jesus and they go home and they meet his family, and God does an incredible, powerful work because they believe that when you step out in faith and do what God calls you to do, even though the circumstances may not work out for you, that God's doing something much bigger than you could ever imagine. I reckon if we had the chance to sit down right now with Paul and say, Paul, Look back on your life that you lived. It's over now, Paul, but now you're here in glory with God. Think about the life that you lived. Paul, you were shipwrecked. Paul, you were beaten. Paul, you were thrown into jail. Paul, you were naked. Paul, your life was cut short. You were actually killed because you put your faith in Jesus and did what he asked you to do. Paul, all of these terrible things happened to you when you said yes to faith. Paul, would you have your life again and do it different? Would you choose safe and comfortable, Paul? You could have actually, you were doing pretty well at life before you had this encounter with Jesus. You could have built up a great investment portfolio, Paul. You could have actually earned lots of money and had a great inheritance. You could have found a pretty lady and married her and settled down at a house on the Lake of Galilee somewhere, I'm sure. Your teaching ministry probably would have got you good money as an income in the world that you lived in. Paul, why, why would you not choose that life? Paul, if you had your time over again, would you choose safe? Would you choose comfortable? Would you choose risk adverse? Would you choose fear or would you choose faith? What would Paul say? I reckon this is what Paul would say. He would say, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I reckon that's what Paul would say because that is what Paul said. And some of us right now, fear is so crippling in our life that when the opportunity to move forward into the things that God is calling us into, we choose safe and comfortable every time. It's like in our lives, we're we're building a bunker, And we're stocking it with baked beans and bottled water because if things get messy, we just want to go hide in the ground and see the trouble out. So even though faith doesn't mean everything's going to go your way, everyone that walked the journey of faith would say, I'd choose faith over fear any day. Because safe and comfortable doesn't actually open the door for us to step into the things that God has for us, that God wants for us, that God wants to use us in and for. You see, fear invites us to stay and faith invites us to go. Fear tells you the lie that you cannot move forward, but faith invites you into a brand new truth, that you are set free to live in the fullness of God's power and his peace. Let me get Jimmy in there. Band to come join me on stage because I I wanted today return to a word that I shared with this church right at the start of the year. If you've been here with us since the start, you would know that our first series, our Be Bold series, we talked about Be Bold being one of our themes for the year and we preached through the story of Joshua, the early chapters of Joshua, where Joshua and the Israelites step in by faith into the promises that God had for them, into the promised land. Now in the story of Joshua, Joshua, and you'll remember this because I said I'm returning to it. But the story of Joshua, there was a moment that they had where they had the decision to choose faith over fear. And God had kept saying, I've got something for you, I've got something good for you. I've got your own block of dirt. I've got a place for you to make a home. The land that I promised to you, I'm about to deliver to you. It's a land, the Bible says, it's flowing with milk and honey. We don't see that on real estate sites today. But that means this is a good place to be. It's plentiful. It's got good produce. It's got good fields to grow your crops. And God kept saying, I want to take you into this new place. But I can't carry you there. I need you to step by faith into it. And at numerous times in the journey from slavery in Egypt to the promised land, there were large groups of people that wanted to choose fear over faith. There was one point where 12 spies are sent into the land, into the promised land. They said, just go and have a look and come back and give a report. And they come back to the people of Israel that are living in the desert. They're living in the dry, barren place. And the spies come back and say, guess what? It really is, like God said, a land flowing with milk and honey. But then there were other spies that said, yeah, but there's some big enemies there. There's some giant people there. There's some people that will annihilate us and wipe us off the face of the earth. And then the assembly of Israel starts going, why did God deliver us from slavery? Why are we now living in the desert? Why did he bring us this far just to walk into the promised land to get slaughtered like these people are telling us? And so their heart said, I don't want to move forward because I don't know what it looks like. Even though God's promised it, I don't want to embrace the land Milton." Flowing with milk and honey, there's two options. One, I want to make my home in the desert. Or two, I actually want to go back to being someone else's slave. But by faith, a group of them stepped forward into all that God had for them. And God went before them and God gave them the land that He had promised. And the word I had for a bunch of us in that moment was, don't make your home in the desert. Don't make your home in the desert. And fear causes us to make our home in the desert. Fear causes us to live narrow lives. Fear causes us to live safe and contained lives. Fear is the thing that stops many of us wanting to pour our life out with a group of others because we fear what might happen if we do. Fear is the thing that stops us wanting to serve and use our gifts to bless others because we're scared of what happens if we do. Fear is the thing that wants us to move forward, stops us moving forward relationally. Fear is the thing that holds us back from stepping into the promise that God has for our future, around family or around work or around whatever. Now fear just says, choose safe, comfortable, narrow, make your home in the desert because you know the desert, you've lived in the desert and there's going to be nothing to throw you out of your comfort zone. But faith invites you into a life of adventure with God. A life that in many steps is going to lead you into a land that is flowing with milk and honey. There's going to be some great enemies to face. There's going to be some persecution to face. But I reckon everybody that chooses faith over fear would choose faith any day over fear because when you go on an adventure with God we get to experience the fullness of who He is working in us and through us. We get to experience the fullness of His peace the fullness of His power and we step into the unknown as Hebrews 11 said they stepped they didn't get to see the fulfillment of what God had promised but they knew they saw in their heart, the promise being outworked. Would you choose faith over fear? Can we stand together, church? Lord, guide some of us today. Are crippled by fear, and our life is narrow because of it. And we don't like it, God, but we don't know how to step forward. We don't know how to move forward. We don't know how to take that first step. And Lord, we don't choose fear because, Lord, we want to. It's just that it's so crippling in our lives that we don't know what else to do. God, I want to pray today by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would start to give a fresh vision, that you would start to reawaken within some people the dreams and the promises that you placed in their heart that they suppressed because they were too scared to walk forward into it. God I want to pray that you would start to do a deep work in actually releasing that fear and building a brand new trust to hold your hand and walk into the future that you have for us. May our lives be full of adventure. May our lives be full of faith. May our lives be full of seeing the miracle of what happens when you go before us. May we have confidence that even in the darkest moments, that we shouldn't turn to moaning, but we should turn to worship. Because God, no matter where we are, you are with us. You have never forsaken us and you will always go before us. Thank you, Jesus.